It's that awkward time between Christmas and New Year, isn't it? it or, or is it New Year's Day, in fact? Is it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's that awkward time when you just don't know what day it is. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson, Richard James and Chris Dayan. Thank goodness that that awkward time between mm. Christmas and New Year is over. Yes. It's a new year. Farewell in between us. Yes. Welcome. 2024. 2024. Mus. Mus. Yes. Yeah. Happy 2024. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, year new Year is what we mean. That's what we're trying to well, say. Did you bring any um, party poppers? No? Okay, well, that went well. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't. No. You just have to imagine that we yeah. had party poppers and ah, streamers and yes and I hope we, we all hope you had a wonderful christmas of mm. course we all wish you a very happy new year let's hope many wonderful things happen in 2024 uh yeah, many yeah at least one a week i'm expecting one one wonderful, wonderful thing, a week. thing a week yeah Bloody okay anyway, okay this is of course the jerry Anderson podcast uh nothing has changed yet but we have been talking about a few little you know little changes to the old Format, have we? we? Don't you remember? Not remember really. My idea with the telephone and oh, things like and that. Super impersonation. Super impersonation. And even switching up Fab Facts a bit to make it a bit more. Oh, yeah. What, all the um, yeah. reverso uh, thing right. for the whole podcast. Right. Yeah. All that is yet to come. Expect or some, may not happen at all. Expect something or nothing in 2024. <laughs> That's all we can offer. Uh, but in brief, Jerry Anderson podcast, Richard James, <laughs> Jamie Anderson, Randomizer, Chris, Chris Dale. Dale. Hi, Chris. Hi, guys. Uh, news. No. Um, no news. Voice of the Podstrons. Yeah. Fab facts. Yeah. Ah, but first part of our interview with the wonderful Prentice Hancock. Yeah. What a way to start the new year. Well, yeah. What a great way to ring in 2024 than yeah. going back to 1975 to celebrate 1999. Absolutely right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Good. I'm so looking forward to talking to Prentice Hancock, not just about Space 1999, but also, of course, The Protectors, another Anderson production he was in. And Doctor Who. And Doctor Who and, oh, The Saint and The Bill. Got some clips of his very early work from 1971. Last of the Mohicans, cool. uh, Colditz, uh, all sorts of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, all that coming up. Is that everything? I think so. Good. What more do you want? Well, uh, to, to speed into yeah. a brand new 2024 edition yes. of Fab Facts. I fell into that one, didn't I? Yay. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. Fab facts. Yes. Same old fab facts. The year for now. Book of fab facts. Yeah. 2024. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, but you wait. I flick, no. Oh, same. for now, same. Okay. Sure. I flick, you shout fab. Yeah. Stop flicking. Read words. Done. Happy? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go on, that's a bit early in the year for anything more exciting. Uh, here we go. Fab! Whoa. I'm just going to skip over those couple of pages oh. there. Well, we've done that one before, you see, I saw. Oh, so, I see, I see. Yeah, this is a different what are the chances? <laughs> well, it's getting uh, increasingly likely that we're going to see the same okay. old fab facts again. <laughs> a bit right. like sometimes we get the same old emails out. Shh. I don't know how that happens. Anyway, Pod290's fab fact yeah. goes as follows. Richard. Yes. We've covered several times previously the fact that certain members of the Space 1999 cast were not invited back for the <gasps> show's second season. I mean... Namely, and um, awkwardly... <sighs> Barry Morse, yes. Clifton Jones, Suzanne Roquette, and <coughs> Prentice Hancock. Yeah, Whoops. Right. Uh, we've also spoken to Anton Phillips in this very room at this very table. Yeah, sat in that very chair. Yeah, about why he only appeared in a couple of episodes of Year Two before also disappearing from the show. Yep. Namely that he wasn't under contract for Year Two, as he had been for Year One, yeah. and so decided not to stick around when it became obvious that his role in the show had been drastically reduced. Yeah, Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However... There's one member of the original Space 1999 cast who, similar to Anton, also returned for the second season, then left, 
but then returned again, and then left again. What? Yes. Uh, that, of course, was the much-loved and much-missed Xenia Merton. Ah, yes. Much like Anton, hmm. Xenia's reason for leaving the show was the fact that so much had changed between seasons, right. and that her character Sandra's role in the new series was much reduced, and again, that she wasn't under contract now, so hmm. there really wasn't anything keeping her tied to the show anymore. Yeah. So, similar to how Anton Phillips had left after two episodes of the second season, Xenia uh, left after three, and Sandra was effectively replaced by Yasuko Nagazumi as Yasko. Okay. And that might have been the end of Xenia's involvement with the show had Martin Landau and Barbara Bain not decided to go on holiday to the south of France at the end of July 1976. <laughs> right. Uh, when the episode The Beta Cloud was due to be filmed. In fact, Xenia's return to the series came at the request of Barbara Bain herself. Oh. As the episode in question... Yes. I've just got to turn the page. Oh, OK. Cool. Very crucial. crucial. Tend to uh, so, so, the episode in question saw Commander Koenig and Dr. Russell among the many Alphans incapacitated by a mysterious space cloud and Moonbase Alpha being defended by only Tony Videshi, Bill Fraser and Maya, the three new regular characters of Year 2. Mm. In other words... Barbara was concerned that with Koenig and Russell ill in bed for most of the story and all of the action given to the three new characters, ah. there would be no familiar faces from the ah. first season in the episode at all. I see. So, Xenia agreed to come back to shoot the Beta Cloud and must have had a better experience this time. You say better experience this time? Because, yeah. I suspect. Probably. Hello. Uh, how, uh, how badly do you want me uh, back? A better financial experience, maybe? <laughs> uh, so she stuck around for seven more episodes. Ah. So, why did she leave the series again when she seemed to have a bit more to do in those eight episodes compared to the first three? Well, this time, mm. it wasn't down to dissatisfaction with the series or her role, but rather that she'd had an offer to star in the 1977 film Cosmetic Revolutionen. Oh, yeah. Is that I know it? it? Well, is it German? Uh, looks it. Yes. Is anyway. It, does it start with a K? She starred in a 1977 film. Yeah. Uh, and as you can probably tell by how I've absolutely failed in that pronunciation, <laughs> it wasn't a British film. Uh, it wasn't German either. It was uh, Norwegian. Norwegian film. Yes. Gosh. Well, I'm well. so glad to have had to say that word yes. badly. The Norwegian filming dates clashed with the filming of the final four episodes of Space 1999, but Xenia was very keen to do those episodes, particularly ah. since two of them saw Sandra visiting alien planets something that we never saw her do in the second season. Nice. She also didn't want to give the impression that she wasn't interested in the series anymore, just in case it went to a third season. Well, quite. Well, fair enough. Yeah. But at the same time, she didn't want to turn down a lead role in a film either, yes. even if it was unpronounceable. Yes. Decisions, decisions. That's right. Ultimately, however, the choice to take the film over the final four episodes of the show became much easier after Tony Anholt, who often gave Xenia lifts to and from the studio and therefore was probably something of a sounding board for her during this time, let her in on a secret oh. Dad had recently shared with him about the future of the series, oh. saying, Honey, your timing's perfect because there's no season three. Oh. That's Tony saying that to Xenia, not I Dad see, saying yes, it to yes. Tony because that would be weird. Yes. So Xenia was free <laughs> to do the film, safe in the knowledge that her Space 1999 job was basically over either way. Uh, and her role in those final four episodes was filled by Yasuko Nagazumi and then by newcomer Ali Parsons. But of course, as things turned out 23 years later, Xenia did get one last chance to play Sandra when she starred in what many consider the final episode yeah. of Space 1999 yeah, yeah. continuity, the 1999 fan film Message from Moonbase Alpha. Yeah, so she did come back. That's true. She had the final word, in fact. That's true. 
That's such a long fab fab. Can I ask, is it still 2024? No, welcome to 2025. <laughs> oh, but that was lovely. Yes, I didn't know that. Yes, you'd gone away and come back and then gone away again. And then come back and gone away and come yes. back. Yes. And... Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Talking to Anton when he was here and he was saying that, you know, how basically he came back for a, a couple of episodes and hadn't signed the contract. Mm. So had decided, well, maybe it's not for me. I'm done. I don't know if you'd do that today. No. I don't know you if you dare. would do that today because... Work is so scarce. Yeah. I do get the feeling it was a little bit easier as an actor in the 70s and 80s. Oh, oh do you think so? I do. Yeah, I get okay. that feeling. Uh, well. So I wonder if today you'd pass up the opportunity to play even a diminished role in the second series of a... Particularly as there's so many kind of add-ons today. You've got your conventions, it's a, uh, you know, and your signings. Yeah. It's a much more lucrative business to be a part of if you get into a regular series. Yeah, but more people trying it. And, yeah, yeah. That's right. Often less money. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, what a long one. It but, was a long uh, one, yes, but, but worth the wait, I think. Yes. And of course, uh, Xenia, who very kindly spoke at Dad's Wake. Ah. Oh. Even though she really didn't want to. She oh. hated doing kind of public speaking stuff. Yeah. Um, but she said some nice words and uh, yeah. introduced a little funny video there to oh. try and sort of lighten the mood. Nice. So, yes. What nice. a lovely lady she was. Yeah, that's great. Nice. Well, I enjoyed that one. What a, a good start to the uh, to the new year, I'd Just say. Just a bit of a long facts. one. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, nice. start as we mean to go on. Yeah, quite, uh, yes. That one, I guess, brings us to a very long, but quite interesting... Xenia mm. <gasps> Facts! Oh, I, I mean, I, yeah, it took me by surprise, even though we do it every week. Yeah. I was thinking, well, could it be something along the lines of, uh, you know, coming and then going and then coming back and then coming going and then coming back and then going and then coming back? Fab Facts. Xenia Facts. Yeah, now... Talking of coming and going, would you like to hear the comings and goings of our wonderful Podstrons? Mm, do I have a choice? Well, I mean, it would involve opening the door to let in a bit of a draft. Okay. <laughs> this is the voice of the Podstrons. Uh, yes, it's the voice of the Podstrons, because they keep emailing us, even over Christmas. They won't blooming stop. They had nothing better to do. <laughs> they could have been eating their mince pies and supping their... Port. But instead they watched us on YouTube. They did. Listened to us on their podcast they apps. Did. And emailed us via their email exactly. apps. Good. Like uh, Edward Turner, who says, well, he ends his email by saying bye for now. Great. He starts Great. it by saying, hello, Jamie and or Richard. Anne's fine. Yeah. Uh, I thought it would be a good idea to get in contact and share something which recently caught my attention and left me a little surprised. Oh. Was that our Christmas episode? In no. the latest... At the time of writing this, Doctor Who episode, which just so happens to be one of the 60th anniversary specials entitled mm. Wild Blue Yonder, there's a moment where the Doctor, as played by David Tennant, and Donna, as played by Catherine Tate, get into a sort of space hover car, and the Doctor says the words, Your car, milady," And Donna responds, Thank you, Parker. This is very clearly a reference to Thunderbirds and the infamous Lady Penelope and her perhaps even more famous butler, Parker. Hmm. I was wondering, first of all, if you were aware of this, or even if you watched the episode, if you were, like me, surprised, and second, what your thoughts on the nod towards Gerry Anderson were. Thank you for hopefully reading this short message. I hope you possibly found it informative. Bye for now. You see, I said he ended it that way, and that's Edward Turner. Thanks, Edward Turner. I was aware of it. Yeah. Uh, it was lovely. Yes. Um, and I, I dropped my, uh, Russell a message. You did? And said thank you. And he came back and said, oh, I thought you'd like that. Yeah. Little winky kissy face. Oh. Did you send him a link to my spotlight profile or my CV? And... I'm going to do that later. Great. Excellent. Because yeah. yeah, obviously yeah, another, I'd like a heart. Another, another time. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, Brilliant. Thanks for that. Yeah. No, I mean, Russell. Let me know when Russell's, you sent it. Uh, yeah, all right. It's not all about you. Russell's a bit of a, uh, a UFO fan, actually. Ah, I think more than Thunderbirds. Right. Uh, but what a lovely thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, great, it's nice it? to have Andersony stuff. Not the first time it's happened, of course. No, but in, that around was, the world's it was a too. very, a very specific, right. very clear one. Too right. So, yeah. so that means in universe that the Doctor watches Thunderbirds. Yes, or has watched it. Sure. Well, yeah, sure. Or, or will just, watch just it. Just aware. Oh yes, or will watch Tidy, it. Wibby. Wibbly wobbly. Okay, <laughs> uh, Mark Moss. Oh yeah. Emailed last week or the week before, but he's That's emailed right, again. He but it's, this is a it's different definitely email. a different email. Definitely I can see is. that. Yeah. Uh, Mark says, over the years, I've been able to acquire a range of Jerry Anderson diecast models that look great, but are in desperate need of accompanying scenery. Oh, That's okay. fair. Are there plans to develop things such as dioramas? Dioramas, for yeah. said models? Uh, I would have a go at making a diorama or two myself, but I know from experience that my wife will, understandably, have one or two choice words to say when she sees the mess I were making in the garage during the process. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Most of the models I have are the Product Enterprise and 1612 12-inch Eagles, all of which look out of place and context without a bit of scenery. I'm not trying to make a diorama out of a crisis. Oh, but help, that is good. But help is he almost, speaking to Terry Adlam? Uh, yeah, pr- clearly. Uh, but help almost of the international rescue kind is sorely needed. Keep up the great work. Camera cards from Mark. Mark. That's um, nice idea. We are actually having a conversation with a company that does dioramas right now are about you? doing scale dioramas for some of our collectibles. So, yes. Good idea. It could I be like quite it. timely. I like it. Uh, Hannah says, hello, Jamie, Richard and Chris. <laughs> Uh, I finally finished watching all the episodes of Fireball XL5 from my Blu-ray box set from Network Distributing. It's the first time I've got to see the entire series, and I could say that I enjoyed it very much. Good. Uh, I had a lot of fun with Steve Zodiac and the crew of XL5 in every episode, and there were some very funny moments with Commander Zero and Lieutenant 90. Mm. I also love the stunning design of Fireball and the epic and catchy music, and not forgetting the theme song from the end credits. Yes. This might sound a bit weird, but I felt as if I wanted to spend time with the characters on their adventures. Not weird at all, no. that's the point, isn't it, of good TV? Completely. As I found them so fun and entertaining. I liked seeing how things were progressing throughout the series and what would be transferred and improved for the shows that came after it. Mm. The production team was starting to push the special effects further. Space City Special felt like a great way to end the series, uh, even though there was one episode left afterwards, with all the characters coming together with enough time to have a save-the-day moment. I had a great time watching the series. Felt a little emotional when it came to the final episode. Oh. But I can always put the disc back on yes. and watch it again. And again and again. Absolutely. I definitely like Fireball XL5 now. Yours truly, Hannah. Oh, great, Hannah. Yeah. You know, amazing. You know, new converts yes. every single day. Yes. Watching stuff from decades ago. Many. Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? And still finding something there of value. Yeah. Before we know it, it'll be Fireball's 70th anniversary or something, won't it? I mean, not for a little while. Yet, yeah. But, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Oh. Mm. Thanks, Anna. <laughs> uh, Caleb's been emailing again. Oh, hello, Caleb, yes. G'day, pod hosterons. G'day. Uh, oh, very good. Listen to your accenting. I mean, no, no, well, that's what I do, Father, Jamie. Why Father are you Christmas, surprised? Father Christmas last week. Yes. Australian this week. It's, what next week? It's literally what I do. I can't wait to hear the next one. Uh, anyway, Caleb says, a while ago I sent in an email uh, talking about the Thunderbirds reference in Wallace and Gromit. Right. And as an Australian as Richard has illustrated, <laughs> yes. I made a severe lapse in judgment oh? and forgot that Ardman is a British company, so of course it was an obvious reference yeah. to another extremely popular British TV show. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, 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 Thunderbirds yeah. is still well-loved over here, but maybe not as well-known as it is in Europe. Okay. Caleb, don't worry, Caleb. No. Because, you know, there'll be plenty of Australian listeners listening going, oh, yeah. Oh, right. Didn't know that. And, yeah. and elsewhere in the world. Yeah, exactly. So you yeah. can always tell us stuff. Uh, yeah. 
but we may go, yeah, we knew that already. Yeah, we knew that. Because we, we're like that. Yeah, we're a bit, a bit snippy. Know it all, so yeah. <laughs> um, Stuart Lomas from Manchester says, Greetings, chaps. Uh, as someone who watched most Anderson shows from when they were broadcast, born in 1960, mm. was Stuart, uh, I've always loved a section of the opening of Supercar and are partly hoping you won't be able to answer this question as I would love to stump Jamie. That's a bit rude. So here we go. In the Supercar opening, it shows said vehicle diving at full chat with the sound of a screaming jet engine. Do you know the aircraft that was recorded to get this sound effect? Anyway, I hope you had a great Christmas. Regards, Stuart Lomas from Manchester. Cheers, Stuart. So, no, I don't, I don't know that. No, you don't. Yeah. I think I know someone who might know it. Really? Gary Hodgkinson. Oh. He knows all that sort of stuff. All right. He's into jets and planes and that. Yeah. So, Gary, over to you. Supercar. Where did we... Uh, Hurricane, where did get the, I don't know. Hurricane? You're just pulling words out there. Vulcan. Vulcan bomber. It could be. Concord. Be great if it's one of them. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Anyway, that's all for now, but we have a bulging bag every week and that's the way we like it. So uh, plenty more emails to read out next time, as long as you keep sending them in at podcast.jerryanderson.com. It's that easy. Please do. Yeah, please do. We really like it. Yeah, we do. Uh, Now... I think it's time that we had our very special guest to start our wonderful new year. That's great. Uh, from Space 1999, from The Protectors, and so much more. Well, I'll let the introduction tell you who's coming up. There are very few people who could be called a bona fide TV legend, but this week's guest fills the brief admirably. He'll be known to Jerry Anderson fans as Paul Morrow from Space 1999 and for his appearance in The Protectors, but he boasts a host of classic film and TV credits from The Saint to Doctor Who and many more besides. It's Prentice Hancock! (laughs) Welcome, Prentice. It's, It's a joy to have you in our podcast studio. I mean, looking around me now on the table in front of us, we have various bits of Space 1999 yes. memorabilia that you'll recognise. The eagle. Who, the eagle. They always looked as if they couldn't fly. They're not they the most... seem to fly like dreams. Yeah, absolutely right, yes. <laughs> Did you ever get behind the wheel of one of these oh, in the yes, series? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> you had to sit down flat on the floor to handle one of those. Right. You know. Not the most comfortable position no, I've ever thought. No, very odd position. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, Prentice, uh, over the next uh, couple of interviews, over the next yeah. couple of weeks, we're going to be talking to you about your illustrious career, uh-huh. uh, focusing, <laughs> well, to some degree, of course, with your Jerry Anderson credits, because that's why we're here, mm. but also s- 68 credits on IMDb, <laughs> uh, your first being in 1969. Mm-hmm. So we're talking a career of well over 50 years. So you may remember that over the last few weeks we've been talking to each other online about your various Anderson experiences. Mm. And I asked you for your first Anderson memory. So, with your permission, I'd like to have a look at it now. Ready? Here we go. (laughs) Very fetching. Yes. I hardly look a day older. No, you haven't changed a bit (laughs) from a distance. (laughs) That costume's quite interesting. Ah, right, okay, we'll talk about that in a moment.
doesn't matter. What is important is that you understand the situation. We are armed and have explosives. Do not attempt to send up the other cable car, or people will be hurt. We mean what we say. Wow. <laughs> what a cliffhanger. <laughs> a little montage there of Prentice Hancock up to no good yes. from the protectors. Uh, Wham! was the episode. Two-part right. story, I think. Two-part, yes. Um, if you try and tell a story in 21 minutes, I think that was the time they had in America. Yeah. By the time you've had your sponsor's message and your, you know... Right, banner, I see. You've reduced the time to this. Well, yeah. there were three sort of parts to this story. You could get about one and a half of them. Yeah. Over, but yeah. you never get all three. So. I see. Um, they decided to uh, do it as two episodes. Right. So I was back to studio and uh, to do some stuff for, oh, I see. on a green screen, you know. Oh, really? And where was the studio? Where, where was it? It was Elstree. Elstree. I see. And you were talking about the costume that we saw you uh, yeah, putting on there. Well, I went out with the head of costumes to buy that, you know, to organise that one day. Oh, yeah. In the middle of the morning, he suddenly said, well, now I've got to go now. Oh. And catch a plane to Austria or somewhere. And uh, he said, will you finish off for me? <laughs> <laughs> right. OK, I see. So I had wads of money and I sort of spent it gaily. <laughs> <laughs> and did you get to keep any of it? I can't remember. <laughs> no, I don't think I did, actually, because the costumes were all in Austria. I see, I see. Well, then we came back. Well, yeah, no, I yeah. didn't. <laughs> and do you remember much of the location filming and uh, oh, yeah. what that was like? That was wonderful. Bit of a treat? It was, yeah. Yeah. How long were you out there for, do you remember? A week. OK. I think. Yeah. Um, in a lovely hotel and uh, I was driving. I had to drive in everything I did. And uh, one day I, I, so I got there and I said, can I have a practice with the car? And they said, there's a car, off you go. Right. And I drove out and I suddenly realised I'd driven off the country roads and I was on the main road. Ah, I had no idea where I was. <laughs> it was before the days of sat-nav in every car, of course. Absolutely. That's right. I mean, uh, and I was very worried. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Somehow I got back. I don't know how exactly, but I did. And what of your co-stars? What do you remember of uh, Jill? the scenes you had? Jill uh, Townsend, mm -hmm. yes. Um, she was a co-star, I mean, yeah. and... Um, can't remember any more. Uh, <laughs> there were no other so major stars that was I it? met. Yeah, in, sure. Filming. But did it feel like a happy ship? Do you remember? Did you have a good yeah, yes, time? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice. I uh, always join happy ships. Yes. I, all this rubbish about people hating each other. Ah. I find well, rather boring. And, well, perhaps uh, you're the common. Perhaps you make the happy ship. Prentice. Well, I try to. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm guessing that you were aware of of Jerry Anderson's work before you, yeah. you worked on the Protectors, but. but uh, I'm also guessing that you were sort of slightly too old for the advent of the early puppet shows in the 60s. Maybe. And so on. In the 60s, I was, I mean, from leaving school, mm. where I didn't do anything, mm. um, I was always busy, busy, busy. Right. Because I trained as an architect to start with. Oh, really? So I was uh, apprenticed as an architect to a firm in, uh, in, with a Greenock office from yeah. a Glasgow firm. Yeah. And uh, I did three nights and a day at uh, the Glasgow School of Art. Uh -huh. And the amount of work we had to do, homework, was incredible. Really? Also, I was in a, a, an amateur company 
with Bill Bryden. Aha. Uh-huh. At Drama Workshop. Right. So there was all day Sunday was t- taken up with that. Right. And uh, so I was, I really had no time to myself. Yeah. Work, work, work. And so when I went to drama school after, that's right. another story. Sure, you know. which we'll come to. Three years. But then did you see your future in architecture then? Was that the oh, original? Then, yes. And was that because of family connections or just no, something that tickled no, your fancy? I'd done nothing about that. I got, I got out of, got my hires, I've got enough of those. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I got out, that was enough to get me out of school to the end of the fifth year. Yeah. And I, I signed up with somebody, International Joy, right. to become a costume works accountant. Okay. Well, after a year, week of that, I <laughs> <week>. resigned. <laughs> okay. My boss had had a heart attack and died. Right, you know? right. So I thought, I, I can't stand this any longer. I see. So I had no idea what I wanted to do. And, and somebody said, there's, look in the paper, there's looking for architects. So oh, right. I went to see a local guy and he said, yeah, start here. So the journey from architecture to, to acting is an odd course change, well, isn't it? Um, I was acting all the time in, in productions. So the, the amateur group you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, doing what I mean, sort of roles? Do you remember in sort of, what sort of plays? Well, comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, the Rose Affair was a television play, uh-huh. which is published, actually, yeah. as an anatomy of a, pair, of a t- TV play. Uh-huh. And I came across a copy of the book I had, in 1963 or something like that. And it's signed by all members of Drama Workshop. Ah. Now, the trouble is, I was supposed to get to deliver it to (laughs) the uh, our opposite number in the um, Shetland Islands. Right. No, in Orkney. Okay, right. And I'd forgotten, and this book... How it stayed with me for the next sixty years, <laughs> in my with my books, I don't know, because I threw away. No, I, I uh, gave away fifty cases of books when I moved two right. years ago. Really? I mean, yeah, <laughs> including yeah. seven or eight to my drama school. Right. And um, wow, amazing. So, so, are you a bit of a collector, apprentice? Do you from from your well, career? Books, yes. Oh, really? I was. Still yeah. am. I mean, I love books. Yeah. Just as. Uh-huh. The feel of them. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and they're there. So, yeah, again, going back to your, your amateur drama days, then, was there a moment or where, where you thought that you might... What was the tipping point where you thought you might uh, pursue it professionally? Know it came from my tutor at, drama, at art school. Oh, yeah. He said, you know, you have to decide. Have you got an outside interest? Uh-huh. And I said, well, yeah, I'm uh, amateur acting. He said, well, you have to decide whether you're going to be an architect or Albert Finney. Right. <laughs> And you thought, well, I'll be Albert Finney, please. Yeah, but not quite that quickly. <laughs> I thought about it, and I thought about it, and sure enough, I decided I would try and get into drama school. And where did you eventually Rose go? Rufords. I see. So that involved a big move across yeah. almost the entire country well, as a young I man? I lost my job at the office because on, I decided to take a day off to do the, the uh, audition. Yeah, I see. Which was an all-day one. Yes, and uh, for some reason, they suddenly decided they needed me in the office, so they phoned home, where is he? Right. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so I had to admit where I was. And, mm. um, but that was okay. He was very nice, my boss at yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so three years at drama school followed. Yeah. What did you get out of that? For anyone watching who's maybe contemplating a career as an actor, why was training so important to you, do you think? I don't know. Ah. It seemed a, a reasonable thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I haven't actually regretted it. Uh-huh. I had a, a mixture accent of Greenock. Yeah. Not really Greenock because it's a very difficult accent for me to do. Oh, really? Very difficult. <laughs> My my friends would all go, no. That's not right, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. We trained, Rose Bruford herself had been the teacher at um, with the singers, with the choir. Oh, yeah. And she taught, she taught opera singers to act. Right. You know, yes. up to then they'd never, never bothered. truly act. No. <laughs> so, um, so she had that attitude to it. She performed herself. She spoke poetry and Mm. that sort of thing. Mm. We trained as teachers, as performers, as directors and as stage managers. Amazing. So it was five days a week and five evenings a week and and Saturday mornings. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you weren't watching Jerry Anderson shows, we know. But what what were you doing for entertainment? What did you enjoy? Cinema, TV at the time, early days of TV, I'm guessing? TV, no. Very little watching cinema. I remember early Bonds and things like that. Oh, right. Yes. And was there a little part of you that thought that you'd like to be up there on the the screen? Oh, yes. That's the reason... So, so you were sort of you were driven. Were you a young, a driven young actor? No, with ambition at all. No, who, <laughs> the man who was driven was Bill Bryden. Ah, right. Who yeah. ran? Who had the, created this company called yeah. Drama Workshop yeah. in a part of of the country which has is strong in its amateur theatre. Mm. George Square Players and Greenock Players mm-hmm. were both big companies names in Scotland. Yeah, and um, so he invented a new company of youngsters. Yeah. And we did very well. I mean, we Peter Evans, who was the sort of looked after the money and all the rest of it, he got us a um, uh, from the corporation, from the council, a, um, a shop which was ours to use as we liked. Oh, as okay. A, as a theatre. I see. And, uh, you know, that was wonderful. Great. We got support. And what did your friends and family think at the time then of this young whippersnapper who wanted a life on the screen and on the boards? They'd never, never call me a whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't give two hoots what they thought. <laughs> <laughs> right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, now, I'd just like to show uh, another clip, if I may. Yeah. Uh, this is the earliest one I could find um, of your credits from 1971. Mm. Uh, so this is from the, uh, the Last of the Mohicans. Uh, so let's take a look at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miss Monroe? Yes, Mr. Gold. Miss Monroe, it occurs to me that I may not have the privilege of meeting your father before you and Miss Alice arrive. Indeed, Mr. Gold. Colonel Monroe commands Fort William Henry. It's an outpost, Mr. Monroe. I was aware of that, Mr. Gold. I'm to report to General Webb's headquarters, back at Fort Edwards. I was aware of that, too. What I wish to say is that I may be stationed at Fort Edwards. There we are. 
fresh-faced Prentice Hancock from The Last yeah, of the Mohicans. You'd never believe my face was actually swollen like that. Oh. Would you? Because oh. I, dire- I was directing a play in the West, in the, you know, in the West End, a, a, a fringe play. Oh, yeah. At lunchtime. I was rehearsing this, and suddenly my tooth, you know, <laughs> Well. And no. I thought I, you, you could never do that close up. And yeah. said, no, it's all right. Can't tell at all, can you? <laughs> no, that's right. Well, uh, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because TV of the 70s and 80s, well, it wasn't by any means a young medium then, but still an exciting medium. You have people like John Osborne and Dennis mm. Potter writing for TV yeah. plays, yeah. some of which you were in. A, 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 well, mm. not specifically those writers, but did it feel like an exciting medium at the time, television? Right. Yes. Mm. I mean, it, was, it was brand new and mm. some of it was done live. Yes. Did you ever have that experience? I didn't have that experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine it was her. The nearest I had the experience was one of the cop shows. The director or producer always insisted on doing it non-stop. Right, as live as it as were. As live. Yeah. Um, wow. Stressful. With, with cars involved and the car scenes involved I and see. all that, you know. Yeah. Crazy. It's quite hairy. Yeah. Uh, did you <laughs> find running across this uh, yes. set while changing costume? <laughs> yes, of course. Quick, quick. Uh, and did you find it easy finding opportunities in, as an actor in the early days, or I were did they then? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And what would you attribute that to, apart from your obvious talent and good looks? I had a good agent. Ah. Um. Uh, Eric Rapine Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, I I thought less of them later, but uh, uh-huh. at that time. They did very well for me. Yeah, great. Now, uh, I've mentioned to you that we have some uh, questions from our viewers and listeners, which we put in our rather lovely Space 1999 (laughs) lunchbox. (laughs) I'd like to say it was in your honour, but we have it every week with every guest, but there we are. So I wonder if you could uh, reach into here. Are there some uh, biscuits in there? Yeah, I'm afraid not. Sorry (laughs) to disappoint you. Maybe next time. Take one, two. Yeah, take one for now, and then I'll pass it back, and we'll see how many we get through. This is from Peter Littman. Uh Uh-huh. Prentice, I love your work, not only in Space 1999, but in other 90s scenes. In your honest opinion, were you happy with the scripts in Space 1999? Or were you more of the side of Barry Morse, who apparently liked to have had more human drama? Oh, right. Personally, I thought season one was perfect the, the way it was, but would love to hear your thoughts as a professional actor. Okay. I thought space was something else. Yeah. Um, there's a happy quality about it. Yeah. You know. No one seemed to get annoyed having to go to work. Right. You know, we all went there with a, uh, a, a happy, a good face on. Yeah, yeah. The scripts were happy. I think Barry Morse, well, human drama, I don't know. I mm. thought there was human drama. Mm-hmm. Um, there could have been more. Mm-hmm. I thought it was perfect in every way, too. Yeah, yes, right. <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Those are my thoughts. Well, I mean... I was very disappointed not to be involved in the second series. Mm. Um, although, once they'd taken main mission out of it, they destroyed the, the setup yes. of that series. That's right. That's which right. Which I cover in my forward. Okay, <laughs> which we'll come to shortly. Mm. Did you have any conversations about the second series or was that just not offered at all? Not. Right. I, I, I was led up the garden path, actually. Mm. I mean, sometime prior to the, um, the showing, the, the starting rehearsal again, there was a party yeah. at Bob Brooks's uh, 
production company where he, he was one of the directors I right. in the second series. Had a party and and um, and my wife was there because she worked with the um, on the commercials that the Bob Brooks did at that place. I see. And it was all you know. I expected to be yeah. da da da. Yeah. The first I heard about it was calls from um, Xenia and yeah. Nick Tate. Yeah. On the day, oh. saying where are you? Ah, oh. that's cruel, isn't it? Well, uh, but that's the business. I remember this agent of mine was appeared at the end of series one. We were finishing off, mm -hmm. and you know he was smiles, and, and I thought, therefore, he was down to talk to them about me. Yes, but I suspect he was there to talk about Nick Tate. Ah, oh, and right. he never mentioned it to me, or that I wasn't in the second series. Right, really? Uh, yeah, it's just extraordinary. Yes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and uh, so yeah. We after a year of that, and there was very little coming from his office to me. I said, "Enough's enough." Right, but happy memories nonetheless of the actual time you spent. Oh, the actual time on yes, the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah good. Uh, take another question. Anyone you like? Uh, this one's from Jeff Tilly, Prentice and his moustache were iconic. <laughs> Did he ever shave it off for a role? Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, we yes. saw you in Last of the Mohicans there. <laughs> Uh, well, last Mohegan, so... Was that prior to your moustache or... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, a conscious decision about your image or your brand, I suppose we might call it today, or just, no, just I, facial hair? No, just uh, I liked it, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it used to come down here a bit yeah. more and, you know... Uh -huh. And it suited you well. You carried it brilliantly. <laughs> Hi, Prentice, big fan. This is from Kevin, Kevin <laughs> Gunther. You appeared in two of my favourite shows, The New Avengers... Mm -hmm. And Return of the Saint. Mm -hmm. Can you recall any memories of working on these two shows? Thank you. Right. Yes, I can. The other day I was stopped by someone in the street who'd just seen the new Avengers. And how funny it was. Uh -huh. <laughs> <So> yes. <laughs> right. It's nice. Do you like looking back on, on your career? Well, I don't mind it. Yeah. But, uh, I, I like looking back in a nice way if somebody's yeah. enjoying it still. <laughs> How is a scene I think where her pajamas are slipping down? Right. Would you ever have guessed that decades later people would be stopping you in the streets? No, no, that's that's why. <laughs> and I suppose that's all because of the uh, the advent of physical media of DVDs yeah. and, and Blu-rays and so on. Yeah. Uh, do you collect any of your work on? No, not at well, all. Well, I I say no. I I have the full. Um, a catalogue of protectors, right? And I have space. Okay. I mean, I get given them. Yes. Go to a convention. They, yeah. There they, they are. So you know, they can go on the shelf. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah, I think there's another one you pulled out there as well. Were yeah, there two um, there? Oh yes, Duncan Moss. Oh yes. Hi, Prentice. What is a performance or stage or in film or television that you are most proud of? Oh. I still think it's the very first telly I did. I think I think it's the first. I yeah. think it happened before, very early anyway. Yeah. I did a play about uh, the army. Uh huh. And I had uh, apparently I had the real um, serial number of the man, but I didn't have his name. Oh. And he was a nutter, right. uh, a Catholic who wanted out of the um, the army, right. hated the army. Yeah. 
hated everything, God, having him. And the other character in it was a young man who was a a priest, a preacher. Yeah. Less uh, um, traditional than the Catholic. Right. And uh, the fight between these two. Right. In which I, the bad man, burn this other guy on the stove in the middle of the hut. Did you say this was a play on the stage? Yeah. Right. No, it was a 30-minute theatre. I see, I see. Got you. Which was TV. Um, on BBC Two. I see. And uh, to prove that I could stand it as much as he could, I then burned myself <laughs> up. Um, Doesn't sound a barrel of laughs. Me, McKenna. <laughs> OK. No one beats me, McKenna. Nice. And uh, as a result of that, two weeks later, I was in another... Um, yeah. 30-minute theatre for Jack Gold. Right, yeah. And we did a play about a guy building a loo in his back garden. You know? Okay, <laughs> great. Uh, did, what was your experience like with theatre? Did you ever find yourself on, on stage much? Yes. Or? Well, I did sort of five years on stage, mm-hmm. Oldham Rep, ah, a year. Yeah. I went up to do a special, um, to do one play, yeah. because I played the guitar. Yeah. And it was a lovely play with um, about um, Queen Victoria. Ah, right. And uh, I was singing. And, yeah. uh, and they said, will you stay on, do another one? Yeah. So I did one and then, you know, it became a season. Ah, so, I see. And until I got a, um, um, another uh, telegram on stage inviting me up to Perth. Lovely. The old Scottish company of yeah. Ian Cuthbertson. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was it for a year. In those days, did you have a particular preference that you thought you, your career might go? Would you have preferred more stage work, do you think? I think in my head there was this idea that you have... You do five years on stage. Right. doesn't matter where, doesn't matter how. You yeah. know, and you learn your craft. Uh-huh. Throw yeah. away all those stuff that you learn to drum. Yes, OK. You know, some of it. Yeah. Um, because they refashioned my voice because I had a half Essex, half Scots. Or, yeah. Uh, but as uh, far as uh, they seemed to think at drama school, I had a Scots accent. <laughs> right. Because there was uh, a morning I was asked to read the prologue to uh, Henry V. Only mm-hmm. the way I said it was, Oh, for a muse of fire, uh-huh. ascend the brightest heaven. <laughs> Which sounds... Fell down no, but that sounds beautiful to my ears. <laughs> that's amazing. You see, yeah. nowadays, Prentice, that's, that's exactly what would be required of an actor, to be authentic and to use their authentic uh, accent on stage. Well, this isn't my authentic accent now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. But uh, <laughs> I'd still need a, a um, received English. Yeah. To be a teacher. Yeah, right. Properly. Right, yes, yes. Although maybe. you never insisted on it yeah. from the people you were teaching. Yeah. They, they, their authentic accent would do. Right. But it had to be understandable to everybody. Exactly right. It's clarity, isn't yes. it, is, is the key. That's right. But obviously a very different experience to being on, on, a, on a, a TV set. I mean, it's worlds apart from being on stage, really. It or is. Did, yeah. Where did you find yourself feeling more naturally at home? In front of a camera or in front of an audience? In a way, in front of the audience. Right. I mean, the, the sort of discipline. Ah, yeah. Everything changes as the half hour, it's called. Yeah. And the stage manager refers to you as Mr Hancock yeah. at all times. And, yeah. You know, there's a certain sort of... Yeah. Act one, beginners, please. Yes. 
Is there part of you that misses all that? The yes. tradition, the rigmarole? Yeah. yeah. And were you a particularly superstitious actor? Did you have various rituals to do before you uh, no. step out on stage? <laughs> Great. Let's have a look at another clip, if we may. Yes. Uh, this uh, is, well, features, besides your good self, and a rather amazing cast. Uh, and I'd like to see quite how much you remember of this. It's from, uh, I think, 1971 or thereabouts again. Maybe a bit later, 73 perhaps. It's Colditz. Uh-huh. But let's have a look at this. <clears throat> Soldier by Ford Max Ford. Yeah, it's all about how he built the Model T. <laughs> and found true happiness. Maddox Ford. I thought that was kidding. I can see you're a literary man. There we go. I can only apologise for your face being obscured by the tinsel. Don't mind. <laughs> uh, Robert Wagner, right, David yeah. McCallum. Yeah. Uh, this was an illustrious cast to be a part of. Did it feel it at the time? Do you remember? No. Mm, no. Just a fellow actors. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He's a very nice man. Um, uh, the the Scott, I was only involved in one day. I yeah. Think, you know, right. Sort of, I, I, I met him and uh-huh. I was out. Hello. Yes, yes. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we are. Well, An actor's Bob life. Wagner was just a nice guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's astonishing. They do like talking. <laughs> they talk the hind legs off a donkey. About themselves, chiefly? Or? No, about... Ah, yeah, you know, right, yeah. The meaning. Of. Yes, I see. You're not of that school. You don't need to be. <laughs> <laughs> Say the lines and don't bump into the furniture, is that well, the... Uh... Yeah, so it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. But how extraordinary to see you all at the start of your, your careers yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about that, we were talking with um, Nicholas Young, who did a couple of episodes of Space 1999 mm. as a guest artist. And he was also in uh, Kessler, which was a series at around about the same time, yeah. also dealing with the effects or, or, or uh, events from the Second World War, because, of course, then we were only 25 years away. Yeah. Was that still part of the sort of cultural landscape, do you remember, at the time? Yeah. Mm. I remember about that length of time after the war finished, finally getting in a lift at uh, Park Royal. Yeah. And the producer of uh, Colditz got in the lift too. Yeah. And how are you doing? I'm oh, still doing the Second World War. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, will it ever end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, because there was a lot to deal with there, I suppose. You know, yes. There's a lot of uh, yeah. interesting stories to be told about. Uh... We did one episode of Spy Trap, and uh, we had the man who, or the one person who got off the hood, uh-huh. and the hood was sung. Ah. Uh-huh. It was in the it was in the in the show. Yeah, I see. Yeah, right. Yeah, incredible. Uh, 
Uh, now, viewers will be uh, aching to know more about your time on Space 1999 and uh, see a few clips. We'll be doing that next time. Uh, but for now, I'd just like to finish with a very quick game that we play with all our guests. It's called Quick Fire 5. There's no right or wrong answer, Prentice. Just tell me the first thing that comes to, into your head. I'm going to give you uh, two options, and you simply must choose one of them. Okay, you ready for these? So, would you rather get home by Space 1999 Eagle or by Slough Taxi's finest car? Oh, no, by the Eagle. <laughs> would you rather have a real-life trip to the moon or a permanent home by the beach on Thunderbird's Tracy Island? Mm, I'll go to the moon. Would you? <laughs> Got no atmosphere, apparently. Uh, where are you happiest as an actor, science fiction or historical drama? Historical drama. Ah, interesting. Now, pick a professor. Space 1999's Victor Bergman or Thunderbird's Brains? No, Bergman. Ah, how could you not? <laughs> and finally, the Spectrum agents in Captain Scarlet are named after colours. So pick your own out of these two from the Dulux colour range. Are you Captain Nordic Spa or Lieutenant Mineral Mist? Nordic Spa. Nordic Spa seems to suit you. Yeah, it does. That's great. Thank you so much, Prentice. Thank My you for pleasure. joining us this week. And we look forward to hearing more stories from your time at Pinewood on the set of Space 1999 and beyond next week. Thank you. Love Ladies it. and gentlemen, it's Prentice Hancock! As you know, I love talking to actors who've been there you and done You do, it. don't I you? I do. I find it very moving you to wish see you do people for a living, really. who've had a bit of a career behind them yeah. reminiscing about their life and times. Oh, it's lovely. And I think it's probably because I wish I was a bit like that and I had a career to reminisce about. Oh, you do. <gasps> think all those hundreds of episodes of the Jerry Anderson podcast Do you think when I'm... I mean, let's face it, Prentice is in his 80s now. Yeah. So do you think in 25 years' time there might be new hosts of the podcast and they might wheel me out to talk about my time at Pinewood. Yeah, I'm sort of envisaging that thing where Pod Podley's in the wheelchair with the breathing mask on. <laughs> oh, That's don't you. wish that on me. Oh. Yeah. No, I think I'll be sprightly. No, you probably will be. Yeah, that's what I like to think. Anyway, uh, more from Prentice, the sprightly Prentice Hancock next week. Yes, can't wait. Uh, yeah, he'll be telling us more about his later career, as well as, of course, diving back into Space 19. Can't help it, can you? No, of course you can't. Show. Iconic is a much overused word, but in this instance, I think I'm getting away with it. Space 1999, so. Paul yeah, Morrow. Absolutely. What other word fits? What a great moustache. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, let's head on over to our YouTube channel. Oh, a YouTube channel, <laughs> eh? Pod286 saw uh, Sadie Miller talking about Stingray and all things Doctor Who, of course, yes. being the voice of Sarah Jane Smith, the big finish. Uh, Scofair5551 says, can Richard play Santa in the Christmas episode? Well, I didn't. Uh, and Jamie in his Joe 90 jumpsuit. Sadly left it behind. Yeah, that would have been seasonal. He says, Chris could wear his Dalek costume. Chris, do you have a Dalek costume? You know, I was meant to get one. But... Uh, when's your yeah. birthday? July. Okay. Right. Time to save. Let's start. Uh, Ian Dealey 9033 oh, yeah. writes, Apart from the audio error oh. on the randomizer, ah. Richard, ah. Uh, I really enjoyed this week's podcast, particularly the interview with Sadie Miller. Yes. I think that Liz Sladen would be proud of the fact her daughter is now doing the voice of Sarah Jane Smith. Ah. I think her mum would love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Never met Liz Sladen. Totally gussed about that. Yeah. One, one right. of the Doctor Who actors I really mm -hmm. was desperate to meet. Yeah, of course. But Sadie's awesome. Oh, wonderful. And, and I've got to direct her doing. You know, you did Genesis stuff. You lovely, did, yeah, lovely, that's lovely. right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, sorry about the audio error. I did uh, as soon as it was pointed out by the illustrious randomizer, upload a, a clean version of the, of the podcast. And I did wonder, well, should I take the first one down? Nah. But actually, having the second one as a premiere, I think it ties a few more people in. Yeah, 
So that was quite handy. So they're both up there. You can watch either the, uh, you know... The correct one or the out-of-time <laughs> one. Up to you. Up to you, exactly. Stephanie. S-T-E-A-P-H-A-N-Y. For Pod 300, <gasps> broadcast it live from Tracy Island on the tropical beach under palm trees. Perfect. I'll leave that with you, Jamie. I'll book the private jet. See oh, you there. Oh, I imagine. Maybe we could do it on a beach somewhere. We could record it on a beach. Uh, yeah, Blackpool. <laughs> If you live years. in Blackpool, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. No, but I'm just saying Venice that's, that's a beach that we could get to. Sure. Yeah, there you go. Uh, under the Lost Episode Discovery, which is, you've never seen this, Episode 3. Yes, yes, I enjoyed that. Uh, Russell Potter 7294 okay. said, We used to have some really interesting shows that actually taught and informed both adults and kids, didn't we? Did we? Now we have less informative shows and more cookery and current affairs that are not informative, but just manage to create a competitive atmosphere. Oh. I do miss shows that don't lecture or shout at us. Ah, maybe that's why he watches the Now Jerry listen here, Russell Potter. Let me tell <laughs> no, I think it depends what you watch. I think it's still there's... informative and interesting stuff out there. The whole channel's devoted to it. History Channel and, yeah. you know, all sorts of stuff going on. There's even podcasts about Jerry Anderson that you can watch. Who would have thought? And they're not preachy at all, are they? Never. Um, uh, any idea, says Don M, what episodes one and four of You've Never Seen This were about? Uh, need a time machine to go back and recover those odd bits of history. Funniest part was the guy wondering if he could find a woman with even one brain and the woman standing next oh. to him not reacting at all. Well, it was a different time, wasn't it? It was, as those... Mark Dow says, ah, yes, the good old days. In inverted commas, we yeah, should say. That's yes, right. Heavy yeah, there. different times. What, what about episodes one to four? Well, I know that uh, Dad went to Holland and met a guy... I want to say sort of balanced on steeples, on church steeples or something oh, yeah. very odd like okay. that. Okay, right. Yeah. Um, but they, they went around and met all sorts of people. There was a guy trying to break the land speed record on a bike, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, all Good. sorts of bits and pieces, which we'll probably never see. Oh, sad. It is sad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah there we are. Uh, all for now, YouTube channel's there for you to enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, Lots of stuff, stuff out there you can do well. Honestly, honestly, it's a, it's, a, it's a world in and of itself. It is. The Jerry Anderson YouTube channel. Yes, many hundreds and hundreds of hours That's of right. content. So dive in and comment nicely beneath and we'll read them out. Yeah. For sure. Good. Talking about nice things. Yes. Oh, it's that time of uh, the podcast when we hand over to Chris Dale on the randomizer oh, sofa for the randomizer. He's so nice. Yes. So shall we see what um, Prentice picks for him today? Oh, mm. yes. Paul, Mor Paul Morrow pressing the button. Yeah, I wonder if it was space 1999. Oh, that'd be good. Who it? knows? Over thank to you. you. So, Prentice, thank you very much for coming all the way to see us in Slough today for the very mm -hmm. first Jerry Anderson podcast of 2024. Uh, do you feel up to pressing the button on the randomizer for us today? I do, I do. Now? Whoa. Yes, please, how about it? Yep. Oh, well done. Thank you very much. Is there any particular series you're hoping to see come up today? I think maybe you'd be hoping for 1999, wouldn't you? Well, I think so, yes. yes. I mean, Anton Phillips got 1999 when he pressed the button, but... Uh, <laughs> ah, now you've got Thunderbirds. Oh, today. Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds, uh, yes. And it's actually one of my favourite episodes. So thank you very much for that. It's uh, Path of Destruction. Here we go. Thank you very much, Prentice. Will you come back next week and uh, press it again for us? Next week? Next week, yeah. Okay, I will. Thank you. See you then. <laughs> So, it's been a long time coming to our new podcast studio in Slough, but finally, we have some Thunderbirds! Uh, I, I think we're still owed an episode of the original Scarlet, but otherwise I think every other show, oh, except for Dick Spanner, has, uh, 
has appeared here now. Thunderbirds really took some time to, to turn up. It's late, you know. Yeah, it's, it's late, you know, yeah. Um, but uh, as you say, or as you saw, um, Prentice Hancock has the magic touch. He produced this episode for us today. And what could be more appropriate to watch on New Year's Day than a, a good old-fashioned disaster movie, which is what the best episodes of Thunderbirds provide. Now then, Path of Destruction uh, is also, long-time randomizer listeners may have picked up on the fact that the second series episodes of Thunderbirds we've been working through in reverse order, and this is not planned, this is just genuinely random how it's come up. And we have now, obviously we haven't seen Atlantic Inferno yet, um, episode one of series two, but with this turning up, we've now, we will have seen all of series two in reverse order. So I think we deserve a, a sticker for that. That's our sticker for achieving something very minor and insignificant. Uh, but oh, this is one of my favorite episodes of the show. Uh, and just look at this thing. This thing has disaster written all over it. Uh, it's just beautiful, beautiful technological, oh. I love as well that just when you think it's, it, it, there can't be any more of it to come on the screen, there's another whole section of it wheeled past the camera. Oh, beautiful stuff. Place control, I might get a bit worried. Yes. What could possibly be worrying about this giant yellow monstrosity uh, with claws and saws and, uh, and its own ominous theme music, which is reused from Pit of Peril? Uh, and it's reused far more extensively in, in this episode than it ever was there. But I just love the look of this thing. Park there for the night. I guess you want I love as well all the support vehicles in this episode. Um, it's really nice colours on them. I really like that shade of yellow, oddly enough, on the crab logger. Coming with us, Sims. All right, better not, Jansen. I. Got a couple of things I want to fix. So the crab logger, for it is the famous crab logger, uh, and its crew have arrived in South America at base camp. The crew and uh, some of the support staff are off out to dinner. And we see some familiar puppets in this um, restaurant here. I believe that chap up the back playing the guitar could be Jeremiah Tuttle. This is your first trip to the tropics. I think there's also two guys sitting together out the front who are, one of them may also be in this restaurant somewhere. Crab logger on its first contract. <sighs> well, I'm certainly glad we got experts with us here on the job. And again, this is something that you, you get with the, the longer running time of this show. Spending time with the guest characters, getting to know who these people are. And I like all of these guys. Senores, what can I offer? Which is, is um, can we see the menu? You know, I think Thunderbirds would work just as well if you didn't have that time to to form an attachment with the characters. But it's just a, an added an added bonus, really. Charles cooks his beef in a very special way. Yeah, thank you, Senor. Yes. So we're having uh, the special in Sancho's uh, Sancho's place. And strong and plenty of it. Mm. That's okay. I'll try the special too. And to me. Yes. And for me, the usual. Thick and rare and juicy. Very good. Ah. That is three specials and one steak, huh? Yes. That's right. Now hurry it up, will you, Sancho? But you wouldn't want to eat in this place, would you? It is quite... Um... Special is the cooking in this place. Yeah. I, I like as well that, you know, I've often praised the sets in this show quite rightly. It's just, oh, that looks beautiful and that looks stunning. And 
here they've really gone all out creating a crummy, mouse-infested, messy kitchen. And it just, oh, but it all looks so believable as well. This pot on the stove of God only knows what that she's about to serve up. Ari, Ari, It's just, oh. Everything in this place is Ari. So they will have to wait. Yeah, it's all so grimy and, and lived in. That's, that's another great strength of these, uh, these sets is when you feel like this is a real world. There and receive the processed materials which... Yes, the Crab Logger is uh, another of those very environmentally friendly Anderson vehicles that's just designed to tear down nature uh, in all its forms. Um, 30 barrels of pulp. To, to provide sweet, sweet wood pulp for, um, for the benefit of mankind. Gosh, I can't wait to get started tomorrow. I just wish Jim Lucas was here to see the crab logger show its muscles. Mm. I wonder how the food's getting on. Oh. He's How can you tell? Gosh, actually, it looked better in the close-ups than it did in the long shot. Smell good, yes? Maria. And this is an interesting puppet playing Maria. Um, you didn't really see... I mean, this is an odd thing to say, but um, there weren't that many female guest puppets in Thunderbirds that weren't, for lack of a better word, glamorous. I mean, even Grandma, to a certain extent, looks looks you know, pretty. She's, you know, um, but I love that puppetry. I love his reaction there to that steaming pile of, of manure that he's been served up. Yeah, uh, but Maria is, is such an unusual puppet for this show. Um, but a beautiful caricature of, of nobody in particular. Okay, Sims, let's get this operation underway. Yeah, off we go. <laughs> yes, turn on the blinking flashing light to know where we are. That's, the, that's stage one. Very important. Um, we're going to be following that, that blinking flashing light. Well, there's Franklin's programming for the crab logger. I just wish he was here for the start of the clearing operation. There's a lot of, of uh, moments in this, the early part of this episode where people wish that someone else was here to see what's going on. But yes, the Matt Zimmerman guy who um, was with them last night for dinner, he's, he's not there today, he's not feeling too well. But luckily, this reused Stingray music uh, also recognised that Jeep. Um, here comes the tanker to service the tanks. Yes, this reused Stingray music will see us along. I expect the transporters are on their way too now. Quite nicely. I also like as well the way they um, get the information across to you about how the crab logger processing plant works. Because very often in, in Thunderbirds and Stingray and that era of Anderson shows, it was like um, you would have two characters in a room or an office or wherever they worked, suddenly having conversations about things they should already know. And there it was very much, it, it felt, again, more natural. Also, I love that bit in the restaurant where he starts drawing out the plan. Ah, oh, goodness, yes. It's so beautiful. Yes, more, I think I probably said this when we watched The Big Gun, but this is my, that episode is just a beautiful soundtrack. I love this stuff. of course they're locking themselves in the crab locker very very tightly so no one can get at them from outside i don't know who they think is going to possibly get aboard the crab logger um ewoks maybe but 
Let's have the radiation. Yes, our crew, our two-man crew, are now locked in the crab logger. Um, they've even got radiation shields, because of course the thing has got a nuclear reactor on board that needs servicing in, oh, I don't know, three hours, probably, probably less knowing this show. But again, just the scale of this, as it rolls out, um, and with that wonderful, just endless plodding music, I suspect that possibly part of the Crablogger model is uh, reused from the Graham Hausman road construction vehicle that I think was also in Atlantic Inferno. May have also been painted yellow for that episode. Right. But I, I like as well that it's not just the scale of the crab logger, it's the fact that it's and quite unique to Thunderbirds. I think only really the Sidewinder comes close, is that it, they've almost sort of anthropomorphized this thing. Because it has the arms and it has a head with with eyes and such, and of course it has this this great big mouth. So it really is like uh, a living creature almost, just tearing its way through the jungle. Yeah, uh, the, the sight of it tearing down all these trees though, uh, it in the 60s, you know, yay, technology, technology's gonna solve all the problems. That was one of the main, uh, um, you know, I wish uh, beliefs of, of the, there was another one. He wished so-and-so was there to see it. There's one of the, the main beliefs of, of this show. And then you kind of get to where we are now and you look at this sort of disregard for the environment uh, and think, ah, yes, this wouldn't fly in the real world today. Uh, not that we could build anything like this in the real world today. John um, Peterson? Yeah. And of course the crab logger reappeared in the CGI show as well uh, a few years ago. And nearly ready to release the first cargo. And our crew are now feeling a bit poorly. Um, they've got their blinker heads on, so you know it's serious. Yeah, this is a support vehicle. I think was modified to become the Yellow Fox tanker. Certainly one of them was uh, in Captain Scarlet. Yes, they're getting a bit hot and a bit sweaty. They're having trouble keeping their eyes open. Um, this is a fairly... Oh, Peterson's out. Yeah, this is a fairly uh, tame way to uh, show the effects of food poisoning. Because, as you probably know in real life, if they were both down with food poisoning, it would not be a pretty sight. But the first of the tankers is here to unload the crab logger, because um, trees go in the front, processed wood pulp comes out the back. So it's important that we keep the stuff being loaded off the back to make sure that the processing plant doesn't get clogged with, with debris and um, hopefully not too many living creatures. Uh, no poor animals uh, had a nest in that tree. But again, the, just the visuals there, the models, beautiful. The rolling background, beautiful. You've got so many layers in, in just one shot that all go into creating this world. It's, it's lovely. And close down the reactor. No. No. We can't. It'll be all right, Jansen. I, I, can, I can handle her. And this uh, character, McCall, who's about to collapse, uh, was voiced by John Tate. This was one of his half a dozen episodes of Thunderbirds that he did voices in. Father of Nick Tate. He's passed out. Oh dear. 
Well, this is a fine predicament, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, oh, it's beautiful, Thunderbirds. We have an insane machine, totally out of control. The crew are unconscious and you can't get into the thing. And it's veered away from its programmed route. We just can't stop her. The call can't have got to that remote switch in time. No. But Gans on the village. It's right in the path of the crab logger. Oh dear. San Martino, yes. Oh, just... <laughs> it's something very, uh, I don't know what the word is, but just the sight of this thing plowing through the countryside with that, that wonderful music. Oh, it's beautiful stuff. Look, we've got to keep the tankers feeding up with Superon and keep the transporters unloading her. If that processing machine got jammed, the whole thing could explode and raise everything to the ground within a... I also like this Jansen character. He's, uh, Those fellas have got the same bug as Franklin. He's very, very level-headed. Um, and it's an interesting puppet that I don't recall seeing in any other episode. can handle this situation. You're kidding. He probably, probably did somewhere. Crablogger base calling International Rescue. Yeah, see, he's the one who thinks of International Rescue. The other guy hasn't got a clue. This is an emergency. Dramatic close-up. <laughs> I always love when they give the puppets a dramatic close-up. But you have warned the village. Oh, yeah. One of the transporters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we did that first. Yeah, this is um, the second season Thunderbird 5 control room set. Oh, in the next... Well, no, we're just over half an hour left. With luck, that machine might bypass the village. But one thing's for sure. It's heading straight for the San Martino Dam. Ah, okay. Right, yes, we hadn't mentioned that. <laughs> I love that as well, though. It's just that even if you avoid disaster in the village, oh, there's an even bigger disaster waiting uh, waiting afterwards. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, I, I like the, the Season 2 control room set for, for Thunderbird 5. Well, that's the position for... I mean, it, it's probably largely the Season 1 control room set, but I like that sort of TARDIS console pillar thing in the middle of the room. Yes, sir. Off he goes. Stay in touch with the satellite. John will keep you posted. Tintin? Yes, Mr. Tracy? Take a letter, Tintin. To come up here right away. Yes, Mr. Tracy. <sighs> and an interesting way to do the, the launch sequence here, because we get Scott going, but I think we're, we're not going to see the whole thing with him. Ah, good. You know the situation, Brains? Yes, Mr. Tracy. Tintin tells me that a crab-logging machine has gone out of control. Got any ideas about how we should cope with this? Well, uh, Jim Lucas is our man. If he can't do it, no one can. In England. Brains is wearing one of his uh, snazzier jackets today. But if we wait till International Rescue gets there, it might be too... Also like Virgil's, uh, Virgil's gear in this one. If we contacted him direct. That's right, Virgil. <laughs> Well, but you do that anyway. I've got a better idea. You can call him up and say, this is International Rescue. Give us the code to the crab logger, mate. There's nothing okay, to stop them doing that. But um, we're coming up on Penelope's introduction to the story, which I think handles or integrates her and Parker really well. And that's not something that I say often in the second series. Because I, I think I've said that before. We have you know, we've, got, we've established Penelope and Parker big hit with the audience. We want to keep pushing those, understandably. 
But then we have episodes like Lord Parker's Holiday and Alias Mr. Hackenbacker, where it's almost like it's become the Penelope and Parker show with International Rescue guest starring. Sherry this is a this is a fine integration of these characters with a proper international rescue story, um, and I sometimes wonder if maybe it would have helped slightly to rejig the running order of series two. So instead of two international rescue heavy episodes followed by two Penelope and Parker focused episodes, have this placed third and go with one of the Penelope and Parker ones second. It may have to be sandwiches instead. Oh, Very good, bloody. Mrs. Harris is now having heart palpitations. Sandwiches? Ah, very deep cut for our yeah. Joe 90 fans here. Send it off you to call. Is it business or pleasure? Well, let's put it this way, Penny. It's always a pleasure to do business with you. Ooh. He's so smooth. I want you to contact Jim Lucas of Robotics <laughs> International. Yeah, she'll do whatever you say now. We need to know the shutdown procedure. <laughs> wondering if uh, Jeff, uh, if, if Brains fed Jeff that line, you know, just to butter her up a bit. Late evening with you, won't it? Yes, Jeff. He won't be at the plant now. That makes it a bit difficult, Penny, but we must contact him. People's lives are in danger. Leave it with me. Jeff. Also nice that they acknowledge the the time difference between Tracy Island and uh, and England. And it's not the oh oh puppeteer finger holding uh, helping Penelope ring the bell there. Um, yeah, in, in Lord Parker's Holiday as well, you have that um, inclusion of the, the time differential there. Get out the Rolls Royce. Base from Thunderbird 1. Base from Thunderbird 1. Proceeding to Danger Zone. Any new developments, Father? I've contacted Penelope to get her to find out the shutdown procedure of the reactor in the crab logger. Hmm. Virgil's blasting off at any moment now, Scott, so he'll be with you soon. And I'm sending brains with him. Yay. I just hope that Penelope can find Jim Lucas. Nobody asked you, Brains. <sighs> Where is poor old Tintin in all of this? He's just uh, doing the washing up or listening to Ricochet. There's no reason she couldn't have tagged along. And I tend to stop talking at this point because um, it, it's easy, it's an easy space to cut time um, with the Thunderbird 2 launch. So, yeah, come back to me once the thing's taken off. Pretty please, I should have said please, I do apologise. And once yes, again, I'm not involved. I hope we can pull this one off. That machine's just got to be stopped. 
Hmm. You know, Mr. Tracy, I'm an engineer of, uh, you know, some, some ability. I could have gone along. No, 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 Tintin, no, no, it's far too dangerous. <sighs> Poor Tintin. Oh, I, I hadn't noticed before, at the beginning of that shot, and again, it just shows that even after all these years, you can still see things in here for the first time. I hadn't noticed like background buildings on the, the painting behind the crab logger there, showing it approaching the town. And yeah, there it is. Oh, I love that shot. I love so many shots in this episode. And this thing has just got so many wheels. Oh, the model's kind of seized up. No, no, nothing's going to stop it. Yeah, just, oh, so many wheels. But also I would imagine that setting up that brick wall would have been a nightmare because if you lose, if you just knock one out of alignment, the whole thing's going to fall down. I can't remember who uh, highlighted this uh, as one of their favorite moments on the podcast um, not too long ago, but it's just beautiful. You've got so many models like this that just you know, they have to look like they're solid but they also have to be ready to fall apart at a moment's notice uh oh it's just great stuff so the crab logger is now making its way through the village and um policeman didn't catch his name is uh is getting over to the dam site because everyone here is evacuated luckily Yes, I mean, by and large, the people here are getting, getting off fairly lightly, damage-wise. They've lost, uh, lost some walls. And it's not like when the Zero X crashed on Cranesville and everybody lost everything because the entire town was just boom. Oh, maybe I spoke too soon. <laughs> Everyone's okay except for that one building. Yeah. Oh, dear. I'm also kind of surprised, but also a bit relieved that there's no sort of military involvement with this. You know, there isn't an angry general saying, unless you stop it in this time, I'm going to blow it up. Um, yeah, that would have been a bit, a bit cliche. We're about 80 minutes behind you. Yeah. Right, Virgil. Now that means we have about 45 minutes after arrival before the crab logger reaches the dam. Oh, more Pit of Peril music. I love it with, with these shows when Barry Gray does a piece of music for an episode and then seems to forget all about it until like 30 episodes later or even uh, several series later. I think famously there's that, that piece in the ghost ship, Stingray. <laughs> and I thought to call them, I'm the best. Yeah, that piece in the ghost ship that is only heard once in Stingray, and then suddenly Barry Gray finds it again in UFO, and suddenly is using it all over the place. So, Scott has arrived in Thunderbird 1. And this uh, control vehicle that I think is where um, um, Jansen and the other guy are, uh, was also reused in Captain Scarlet. It's the ambulance that takes him away at the end of Winged Assassin and shut down the reactor. Do you think you can do it, Scott? Well, I guess we can get into the crab logger okay, but we must have the shutdown procedure for the reactor as soon as we do. It's going to be that close. Mm. Ah, the Penelope and Parker 
We're on the case. Uh, I suspect that's reused footage of, of Fab One there. Not that it matters. So they've now arrived at the... Uh, oh, Robotics International Limited. Thank you, Sign. That um, prevented the old brain box from having to think about it. Again, I, I like this little... Just a little security hut. Um, another character voiced by John Tate. But, officer, this is terribly important. So you keep repeating, madam, but uh, you've never even offered an explanation. I tell you, I can't explain. Is that the personnel file there? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, I do have to admit to you that that's what it is. Ah. I believe this, this puppet turned up again in the same costume in Alias Mr. Hackenbacker. This is an odd moment, though, where they, they paralyse this poor card with a, a ray. It's a bit, I think, a bit too uh, futuristic for Penelope and Parker. But I guess if the alternative was Penelope, I don't know, bludgeoning him <laughs> or something. Yeah, James Lucas. She's got his address. But I have to find Mr. Lucas tonight. I assure you, you will suffer no after effects with this beam. And thanks for this. I'll see that it's returned to you. That's good of her. Is he going to be able to... Yes, he's raised the alarm, just as he, just as he passed out. <laughs> and there's those uh, guard dogs that were implied earlier by the uh, keep out guard dogs sign. I trust you got the information you require, milady. Oh, yes, Parker. Your aiming, as usual, was impeccable. Thank you, milady. Where to now, madam? 20 Hazelmere Gardens, Irishman. Hmm. And full speed ahead, Parker. We mustn't let Scott and Virgil down. They'll be relying on us. Yeah, I, I, I thoroughly accept and appreciate the way they incorporate Penelope and Parker here. Uh, they didn't have to be here, um, but it's, it's just, it feels genuine. It, it doesn't feel like they're being shoehorned in, unlike I said those, uh, those few later episodes where, well, it's not even that they're being shoehorned in, it's that they've kind of been just given their own starring roles in, uh, in really what, what feels almost like a different series entirely. So we have pod three, and what wonderful piece of technology are we going to roll out to, uh, to deal with this problem? I can't remember what this is called. Uh, is it the monocrane? It's basically a, uh, a sort of cherry picker. Um, a, a hoist that can be raised up from the back of a, a vehicle. We see a couple of, I think there's another vehicle coming up later possibly. Uh, that again is, is only seen in this episode, but it's nice that they have more than just the, you know, the mole, the firefly and so on. They wouldn't uh, necessarily be much use in this situation. Looks like somebody's had a accident. Shall I stop, lady? Oh dear, the time. Prime the machine guns, Parker. And this I, I've always found an odd moment. Um, because it rather conflicts with the terrible road accident that Penelope caused back in Vault of Death. Oh 
in which she caused some poor driver to swerve off the road and crash um, into a tree and didn't do anything. I've, I've sometimes wondered if this scene was like included as kind of like a, no, 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 see, she can be nice. She doesn't always leave people to die in horrible, um, horrible road accidents. Again, I like this presentation of the character. I think my, my notes on that moment are kind of more, really, they're notes on, on Vault of Death. I just find that moment so, so unpleasant, really, that she basically forces someone off the road to their death for a joke. Um, whereas here, it is like, yeah, of course, of course they would stop to, to help someone in, in distress. They're international rescue. Um, be it someone in a car crash or or someone uh, stuck in the crab logger with food poisoning. Okay, Scott, we're in position. The whole tight, boys. Going up. Yeah, so Virgil and Brains are being lowered onto, well, no, not lowered onto, they're being raised onto the crab logger. Um, yeah. And of course, we have to get them from the hoist to the... Uh, or onto the crab logger. It's going to involve a bit of a jump from one to the other. Four, four feet. How do we imply that that has, has happened? Right. We're level with the control cap. Hold her there. FAB. We're aboard. <laughs> we just we just kind of show it. We just kind of say that we're uh, we're aboard. I mean, brains did did jump there. It was very brave of him. Virgil is about to start using the laser beam on the hatchway. We're going to need Penelope's information about the reactor pretty soon. Mm. Yeah, and we're getting too near to the dam for my liking. Oh, so they've made the engine man comfortable. They've put out little uh, beacon lights for, for an ambulance to, to find him. It seems to be concussion mainly, and there's a broken leg, I fear. Oh, so her, her Girl Guides first aid training has come in handy. Well, I think I can hear the ambulance. I also love the, the pink telephone. Um, and for, for this, this show, that's uh, a fairly... You know, you don't always associate the technology in this show with, with being small, necessarily, in, this, in the way that our own devices are today. But that was... Yeah, you could probably get away with using that as a, a real mobile phone today. So... International Rescue to Base Control. How far are we from the dam now? Virgil and Brains are cutting their way aboard. Unless the reactor in that machine is closed down before it reaches the dam, well, I hate to think what will happen. Ooh. Okay, I understand. Now, how are things at the dam itself? They're evacuating the site now. I'm waiting for final confirmation of clearance. Yes, and at this dam we find... I recognise that lorry. I think that was a real toy that was available at the time, and I'm sure we've seen it in other episodes, I think. It was sort of buzzing around the bottom of the sun probe, and there's a familiar face. Uh, that's the the uh, naughty general from Edge of Impact that was in league with the Hood. Um, general Braun. Manuel, can't you get it into your head? When that crab logger falls into the dam, as it's going to do in about ten minutes, the reactor's going to explode and tear the wall of the dam apart and release so much water into the valleys that not. It's a pretty grim picture, we're all told. Clear, get into that car and beat it. 
only two more weeks' work to complete this dam, and now we're evacuating. And you kind of feel for him, and it's quite impressive for a, a one-scene character. I don't think he comes back again. Uh, also nice that the, the police guy was uh, hanging around there. Yes, he, he didn't even have a chance to, to save all his papers so that he could build another dam. You also wonder what um, fallout there was from all this. Uh, presumably Sancho's restaurant was closed down soon after, considering that uh, it crushed half a village. Um, yes, Maria's cooking. Well, there's not a window or door had locked, lady. Oh dear, then I'm afraid there's only one thing left for us to do. Oh dear. Find a brick, again. Parker. Great. So about how trouble you for the load of an airpid, belady? Ah, nod to a previous episode there. <sighs> well, fellas, what have you found up there? Uh, well, uh, the two boys don't look too good, Scott. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. I, get, I like the, the body language with um, Virgil checking the guy's pulse there. Uh, and measuring it against his own watch. Again, I don't think this is how food poisoning works. It would be like, we need buckets, lots of buckets, disinfectant. Oh dear. And again, the music just does so much to lift what are already gorgeous visuals. Uh, yeah, it's just that. I mean, some of this bit of peril music reminds me of kind of old Disney music, and I'm not sure what film I'm thinking of. I want to say The Jungle Book. Kind of the, like the music of the elephants, if that makes sense. That these are, the Sidewinder and the Crab Logger are like these huge, lumbering, unstoppable beasts almost. But here we are in the bedroom of Jim Lucas and wife. Oh, Penelope is... Yeah, it's got a gun pointed at his head. Because, you know, she may be... I may have given her praise through this episode, but, you know, she's got to get a bit of needless brutality in there somewhere. And no harm will come to you. Now, look here. What's that mean? Now, look here. Ah, yes, and um, interesting again. This is not the first time, nor is it the last time, that you see a married couple in separate beds in Anderson shows. Uh, the, the Zeros in Fireball XL5 slept in separate beds. And I think even into UFO, um, in the Psychobombs, David Collins sleeps in a separate bed from his wife. I think actually in, in Flight Path, doesn't, doesn't Carol Roper, don't, don't her and her husband sleep in separate rooms? Uh, you wouldn't expect to see it in a, in a, a, a supermarionation show, them in the same bed, but uh, I suppose actually the first, well no, I was going to say you don't see characters sharing a bed in any of the Anderson puppet shows, but of course you do, because um, we've all seen the bit from Torchy, uh, Torchy in bed with the old man, of course. Coffee, Mr. Tracy? Oh, thank you, Tintin. What yes. a good idea. Yes, well done, Tintin. That's all you're good for now, Tintin. It's a shame. 
What's the latest, John? Well, Father, Virgil and Brains got the two guys out of the crab logger, and base control are having them shipped out to the hospital. Good. And now they're waiting. That's right. I'm standing by to transmit Penelope's instruction to the close down of the reactor. He's been standing by all night, and his hair still looks perfect. Good old John. But this is a nice um, visual as well, as, as Lucas is reciting the information to Penelope, it's being spoken into her recorder, which she is now about to transmit to Thunderbird 5, which in turn, Thunderbird 5 will then transmit to Scott and Virgil on the ground. Oh, she throws it to him. Parker's off to feed it into Fab 1. For reasons too complicated to explain, I shall first send you back to sleep. Oh, she's got I a sleeper cartridge. Ooh. I knew what this is all about. I was just hoping to get to know you better, too. You... Oh, smooth guy. Got a, got a lovely voice. So. Oh, dear. Um, oh. Someone's marriage is, uh, if not already on the rocks, it's certainly heading in that direction. More on that later. Previously held the remote control lever in position. So, we've got the information to shut down the crab logger. All, no doubt, will soon be well. To close the reactor down completely, you must depress the button marked Closing Release. The unit incorporates a time lag of about three minutes, after which the crab logger should stop. Mm. Three minutes? Brains, we'll never make it in time. Oh, no. I love that shot as well. Yes, that that sign just being crushed under the crab logger. I also, and it's um, it was mentioned, but thankfully, and I don't think you could show it. They get the uh, unconscious crew out of the crab logger, and Scott rushes them to hospital. I don't know how you would have shown that on the screen. They just kind of have to. Virgil or Brains kind of throwing them overboard, and Scott leaning out the window trying to catch them. Oh dear. But it's nice as well to to have our actual heroes of the show put in put in danger by the uh, the runaway machine here. Scott, we've closed down the reactor and we're waiting now for the time lag to run out. Virgil, what are the chances? We're heading for some kind of a ledge. Some kind of a ledge could be a ledge. Uh, I, I was also noticing. I think I recognised in the background there. The um, safety beam lever control console from, from Thunderbird 3, from Sunprobe. This is all good stuff as well, where the crab logger starts to shut down on the edge of the cliff. If the crab logger falls into that basin, even supposing the machine is stopped, the tanks will go up and bust the walls of the dam. I'm coming in now to offload the tanks. You haven't a hope. There's no time. Look at the chart. Again, I love as well with this one, and it's kind of a hallmark of the very best Thunderbirds episodes where, okay, we've, we've solved this bit, that's done. Oh, but there's another bit. Okay. Oh, but there's one, and there's another, and there's another. There's this never-ending stream of just, oh, and one more thing, if you don't do this, bang. Oh, damn. It's a beautiful model. Uh, not long for this world, of course. As the uh, cliff starts to disintegrate beneath it. Oh no! Not the truck. 
Yes, that's the ambulance, the yellow one from Captain Scarlet. And one of these Superon tankers was was repurposed into the Yellow Fox tanker. It's getting a bit wobbly. I would also have to imagine, uh, with some of the effects in this episode, that, for instance, with that shot of it passing over the cliff edge and the back end kind of sways out a bit, there would have to be a point where it's like, look, we, we can only do this once, and whatever we get, we're just going to have to put up with. Uh, because, you know, obviously when the crab logger eventually falls and is destroyed, you can't, you can't shoot anything more come with it. On, baby, come on. Ah. Nice callback to Atlantic Inferno, the previous episode, where uh, Scott's brother Gordon said the exact same thing. In fact, Jeff says the exact same thing as well, so you get it from three members of the Tracy family across two episodes. Oh dear, just one thing after another. something so satisfying as a, a Thunderbirds fan, just watching runaway technology gone wrong. It's just beautiful stuff. This is one of those Thunderbirds episodes where it's like, yes, this is, this sort of thing is the core of what I, I enjoy most in the series. Um, and there are other stories in Thunderbirds besides technology gone wrong, but for me, this this stuff is is just the best. And there's a part of me that thinks, you know what, this could have been a candidate for a Thunderbirds movie. It really could. Um, seeing this thing on the big screen would just be incredible. So the crab logger has now stopped. She stopped, see? She stopped. Yes, uh, on the very edge of a cliff, which is crumbling. But of course, they can't just jump off. Uh, they have to drain the tanks first to make sure that it doesn't explode when it hits the bottom of the canyon. Because if it explodes at the bottom of the canyon, it will burst the dam and flood the valleys. And well, that would never do. So yeah, we've got Scott and Brains and Virgil all uh, all in, in mortal danger here, which is, you know, sometimes in episodes like this, it's like, okay, we've saved the people from the thing, let's leave the thing. No, 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 we've got to do a bit more first. And on paper, it, I suppose it's not especially exciting, but something about all this, this draining the tanks. Okay, Scott, start the pumps. It is quite dramatic. There, good old Scott. Um, but also, there's no there's no music for most of this. So you get you get a lot of concerned looks from the puppets as uh, Scott and, and Brains and Virgil they put on their their serious faces for some of this. 
7,000 gallons to go. Are we going to make it? Beautiful sound effects as well. I love that those endless creaking sounds and the, the interior of the camp here and the rockfall. Just this endless hum of the tanks pumping out the, the fuel here. 200 gallons to go. Uh-oh. Heck, she's going! Sudden lurch to the cliff edge. Jump, brains. Ready, Virgil. And here we have the return of something else from Edge of Impact. I, I assume these are the same jetpacks that we see them, the guys in the, uh, the tower using at the end of that episode. The emergency escape units that just take you straight 30, up. 20, 10. Right, that's it. Okay, so the tanks are empty. Scott's got to get clear. Brains and Virgil have got to get off the thing. Yeah, there they go, up into the sky. I don't think they're quite the same designs as the, uh, the escape units from the previous episode, but it's probably the same technology. <coughs> but this is just glorious. And oh, all those bits and pieces falling off the model. And I mean, yeah, you see the, the wood underneath, but oh no. Well, the guy lost his papers, but luckily that seems to be all they've lost. Wow, wow. Quite a bag. <laughs> Brains is oddly yeah. amused by the whole thing, the fact that he uh, nearly lost his life just then. I wonder what Jim Lucas is going to say when he hears about his crab logger. Yay! There's another of those uh, famous Slough newspaper covers that they... Um, they yeah, use a few times in this dream. series. This I find a really strong way to end the episode no, with Jim Lucas she and his really wife. Uh, yeah, Jim thought Penelope's visit was a dream well, and he starts to do this hooray for international yeah. rescue. How great they are. What an organization. And we get the, the heroic music. International rescue has done it again. And we just have this discussion going on in the background as the music, the heroic music, builds and swells. Um, we witness the beginnings of the, what I assume is the disintegration of uh, the marriage of these two. Because Jim's wife has to know why there was a girl in the bedroom. Oh dear. I, I find that a very strong ending. Um, a, a great touch of more, I wouldn't say adult humour, but more sophisticated humour than you would often find in this show because I think the end of the previous episode Atlantic Inferno how do they end that one Jeff sits down behind his desk and everyone bursts out laughing and I've never understood why but yeah that's a, a beautiful way to end as I said one of my favorite episodes of Thunderbirds uh, I think this is possibly a favorite of a lot of people so I'm very glad to see it come up today teleplay Donald Robertson all good stuff and uh, yes this was I think the final episode directed by David Elliott. Um, so yeah, very appropriate to, to see this come up so soon after, after his passing and really you know, get a chance to 
to celebrate so much of, uh, of what he brought to this series, the, the whole thing is beautifully directed from start to finish. It's a fantastic, you know, classic Thunderbird story all the way along the line, but realised just, just beautifully every step of the way. And even, as I said, even at, at this late point in the series, we're, we're integrating Penelope and Parker in such a way that they're not taking over the entire show. So this is just classic Thunderbirds all round for me. One of the best. Really good stuff. Oh, so it wasn't Space yeah. 1999. But it was Thunderbirds. It was Thunderbirds. Do you think that's the next best thing after Space 1999? Many would say it's the best thing ahead of Space 1999, but probably not Prentice. I no, suggest. no. I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, shame on you, Chris, and your randomizer for disappointing Oh, no, 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 no. You can't say that because it's random. That's the whole point. I know. Yeah, yeah. You still blame them, though. Uh, more from the randomizer <laughs> next week. More podsterons emailing us next week at yeah. podcast.jerryanderson.com. Uh, more fab facts next week. Yes. And second part of Prentice Hancock's interview next week. More Prentice Hancock. Yeah. What's not to like? Uh, well, you and me, probably. Uh, well, they'll have to tolerate that if they want the rest of it. Yeah. Anyway, see you next week. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye. This is Christmas Control. Stand by. Let's go. The drum is green. Are we keeping these decorations up then? I think I have to take them down for next week. Is take them down right? next week? No, before next week, yeah. Before next week? Is that all right? Really? Yeah. I just can't keep them up for one more week. Oh, fine. Is that your New Year's resolution? Aren't they supposed to... to come down on the 12th of January? Uh, isn't that a thing? Keeping your decorations up till the 12th, 12th, in which case... 12th we can... night, which is the 6th, isn't it? Oh, well, the next podcast, I think, is out <clears> on the 8th of Jan. So, so they have to come down by then. No, no, we could squeeze in a couple of days, surely. Let's leave them up, please. <sighs> Tedious. Oh. Outstaying their welcome, much like... Uh... Hello, hello, hello. What's all this, then? I don't know why I just sounded like a policeman again. <laughs> see, I have a habit of doing that in this podcast. Anyway, see you next week. Uh... That was an Anderson Entertainment production. <laughs>